0: Welcome to think like a penguin the art of flying this is the podcast to help you think outside the box live more confidently against the grain and become your more authentic self penguins don't traditionally fly but what's to say they won't one day Hello, welcome back to this episode. Today I'm going to talk all about dyslexia. So I had got a couple of other guests that were going to come on and speak, but unfortunately COVID got the better of both of them. So you've just got me again today, but it's a topic that I am very uh, qualified to talk on because I was told I was dyslexic around the age of eight. So I'm just going to talk to you about how dyslexia played out in my childhood through my school, then how it kind of affected my university studies, my exams, and then also talk about how it still affects me because unfortunately with a lack of training, if you like, or a lack of English extra tuition every day or every week, my spelling is getting worse, my reading is getting worse and other things are more noticeable that are wrapped up with being dyslexic. So as with any condition, I don't like to associate it as being that thing. So obviously I am not wholly a dyslexic person. I just have dyslexia that runs alongside uh, my life. So it's certainly not an identity that that I attribute to myself, but it is something that I sort of have to I feel I have to apologize for or just make aware to people to kind of act as a bit of a scapegoat or, well, it's a genuine reason, but I feel like it lets me off the hook a bit. Um, And I'm embarrassed because I don't want to seem stupid or unintelligent. But one thing I do know now is that having dyslexia does not mean that I am stupid. It took me many, many years to realize that. I think my mum told me constantly that I was really intelligent and bright, but it's just that I wasn't able to articulate that in the conventional ways of reading and writing. So when I started my education, I went to a really cute little primary school in the local village, Kempsey Primary School, and I think there was about 30 children in each class, so quite a lot of kids, and as far as I was aware, I... I didn't have any awareness really. I was just going to school, enjoying school and um, just part of the school day. And it was around the age of seven or eight that my mum and dad realised that I was probably not up to national standard or at least up to a point where they felt comfortable with where I was, with my reading and writing ability. And, they have spoken to mum since and they approached the school and said you know we're a bit worried about Olivia she's not really doing well on test she's not really at the national average I can't even remember how they grade you but I'm sure I did some sort of um, exam or something and the school just said well she's doing okay for her now obviously doing okay for her doesn't necessarily mean that I'm doing okay so mum took me to Take a dyslexia test, which was actually a really exciting day. Being the youngest of three, and my sisters are only a year older than me—they're twins. I remember it really clearly as a beautiful bonding day with a mum. And I went. I had someone gave me some Maltesers in a this really cool little mini, mini Mouse case. There's just so many really bold memories from that day. We went off to Birmingham, which is about an hour drive, and it just felt like I was having a day out with mum, so it was really fun. I do remember all these little games. So honestly, I felt like it was the best day ever, but they were doing all these tests, so puzzles, quizzes, memory things, and it felt like it took forever, but I didn't mind because I was having fun. And then it was after that that I... I think I must have been told that I was dyslexic and learned about what the word meant. But I do remember that I was in the top 90 percentile, and mum might correct me on this one, but I do remember I was was very intelligent. So top 90 percentile for intelligence, uh, intelligence, but the bottom 12 percentile ability for spelling. So essentially, pretty clever, but... um, So... I don't know if it, everyone knows, but the percentile is in relation to population of kids in England at the same age as me. That might be general knowledge, but just in case you're not sure. So I was I was up there, very intelligent, but very low down on my spelling ability, and my reading and writing was also um, not great. So I got moved to a different school, the Alice Otley School for Girls, so it's a private all-girls school, and unfortunately, because I was so far behind, I had to start uh, a year below the age that I was. So I probably, I'm just on the cusp. So actually only by a few months, I was a bit older, but as noticeably older, taller, there was a couple of twins. They They became my best friends, Harriet and Victoria, and they were a whole year younger than me. So I did really have to Repeat a year, even though it was only at the age of eight. So it felt like I was just redoing primary school. It's a whole new experience anyway. So it was unknown to me at the time until I think I got into maybe year five or six and I realized, oh, hang on a minute, I'm considerably older. And it also meant that when I was representing my school, I was allowed to compete in sports teams. But when I was representing my county, even though in the sports I'd been representing and playing with my classmates, at county level I was too old, so I had to represent for my sister's year. So they were two school years ahead, even though they're 13 months older, and I always had to try and compete at that level because I just didn't quite fit into the right age bracket. So it made sporting um, maybe it helped me in the long run, but it did it did mean that I couldn't compete alongside my classmates that I'd been training and and practicing and playing with throughout my whole schooling life uh, because I was just too old so My first experience of really knowing that I was struggling was we were in what we call transition, so I was eight years old. I think it goes pre-primary, kindergarten, transition, year one, year two and so on but it's a bit different to here in Australia but I was eight years old and we were just doing the alphabet and I could not do the alphabet so I distinctly remember the shame, the embarrassment, the awkwardness that I would just get maybe to F or G or not very far along at all and I just couldn't remember what came next so that's one massive component for my dyslexia and how it shows up is that i just don't remember things so unless i remember the rule or i remember the the exact words that make up a, a phrase or a sentence or the exact letters that make up the word of a country or a spelling very rarely can i figure it out just on how it sounds or a rule because Unlike other languages, English is so challenging because there aren't necessarily rules that make sense or that follow a pattern. And I'll explain that a bit more. But yeah, I was very aware that I couldn't do my alphabet in transition and some of the students in my class were kind of doing it backwards and um another thing was we went on a skiing holiday every year and we didn't get the plane because it's too expensive. We would go in the car, so we'd drive from England across the border to um, France, obviously we get a boat, <laughs> and then we drive from Calais to the slopes, and that would usually take a day and a half, and on the way, we'd do like I Spy, or we'd do spelling games, or we'd just do little quizzes, and the family we went with, um, lovely kids, Sean and Lawrence, and Sean, her spelling ability was incredible. And it was always a bit of a running joke that for myself and Lawrence, we would get the three-letter words. And that was, although it was funny and we kind of joked about it at the time, it was actually quite painful. And it it really made me aware of how behind I was in my spelling ability. She'd be kind of doing five, six-letter words. Um, And then the last one was... We had a really cute little mezzanine miniature library, just like when you go back to a classroom, a primary classroom as an adult, you feel like you're a giant, or Alice in Wonderland in the house when she gets really big. I remember going back to this classroom a few years ago, and this mezzanine area where it was just slightly raised, I think three steps into the book, the little mini library in the corner, it was absolutely tiny, it was like the size of a rug, but I remember you were allowed to go up there and get a Penguin book, so Penguin being the the brand of books, but I was never allowed up because I couldn't read any of them, so they kind of, I guess they just deemed it was not, there was no point to it, so it wasn't malicious, they were just like, well, Liv can't read a book up in there, so there's no point in her going up, and I really hated that, I wasn't ever allowed to go up. And the other thing, I guess I would always have uh, storybooks, so um instead of taking a book out to read I would just have them on tapes so I had my Walkman and I would I would listen to Tiger Comes for Tea and Silent Night and all these all these stories that I can really remember really well but they were just played to me books, sorry not story books and um yeah I never it just never dawned to, on me to get a An actual book with words. I would always just get picture books. So all these kind of signs, very obviously pointing to the fact that I enjoyed stories. I loved the imagination. I've got very good imagination. But in terms of reading the written word, I I just struggled to do that. So went through uh, primary school without too much fuss, just kind of got on with it, didn't probably do very well. But primary school is more about just life skills and giving everything a go and kind of growing into yourself. And then at secondary school, it was evident that I was still really struggling. And so I had extra tuition with lovely Mrs. Lucas. And I found it Uh, sometimes enjoyable, but most of the time a chore and tedious, and I resented that it took time out of my day. So I think I did three or maybe two lessons a week, and it might be after school or in a lunch break. And we just do games and try and mat out kind of patterns or rules, and a bit like when you're learning a new language, you learn oh my gosh, and I can't even remember the words for them, but like a pronoun or an adjective or an adverb, all those things. I can't remember what they mean. But um, yeah, when you're learning a new language, you learn the the rules um, of which to follow. So for me, I found that really hard to remember the rules. So I'd come up with my own. So one major component of dyslexia, and I assume this is true for most people, but it might be Not generic, but is that you spell phonetically, so you spell how it sounds. The problem being, there are many words that sound a certain way that could be spelled six different ways. For instance, read or read the E sound could be two E's or it could be an EA. Who knows? You just have to know. Cycle. It could be an S or it could be a C that it starts with. Um, phone. It could start with an F or it could start with a P. So unless you know, you don't know. So it was a lot about just trying to learn the rules and learn um, C after S after C except after no no wait I before E except after C. All these little like rhymes and stuff. Um, and then one I came up with that I still remember and I still thankfully, kind of can use today is there and there. So there is in belonging to people, the E is followed by an I, and the dot on the I is like the tummy button or the belly button, which only people have belly buttons. So therefore there when it belongs to people is the one with the I in it. And there, um, if you take off the T, it spells here. So there is a place. So therefore, there where it, when it's a place, doesn't have the I, it's got the H-E-R-E and it's spelled, it's got here written in the middle. So it's finding these sort of patterns or these little weird funny rules or um, attributing weird facts or memories to certain words. Often I, as well, I would draw shapes. So along the top of, let's just take the, the word school. If I were to draw a line from the top of the S, it would curve and then it would sink down for the C, then it would shoot up over the top of the H, and then a flat line for two letters for the OO, and then shoot up again for the L. And often I could remember the line, I could see that um, in relation to the school, or I might even make the roof of the school that line, the shape of the word, and then I could go, oh, it must be... Um, two O's because that flat line before the big spike of the L is longer. So I know that there's two letters there. So all these little rules that most people don't even have to comprehend were really vital for me to be able to get some spelling um, and literacy skills up to kind of a respectable level. So most people who've listened to my previous podcast on my story will know that I took a lot of my exams in hospital. And I think this was an absolute blessing in disguise. So no surprise, I was in the D grade for most of my subjects. So as we were graded in our school and D just being the worst. And I was a little bit of a shit at school. I think I was just bored or struggling and felt overwhelmed. So I just played up a bit and unless it was a subject I loved in which I was really engaged and really switched on. And when I went to hospital to do my mock exam, so that was year 10, I actually became obsessed with studying. So we had these bite-sized books that broke everything down into really manageable kind of revision techniques. And I would look at those religiously, like OCD for hours and hours and hours and hours every day and that obviously amazingly was really fortunate in that it meant I had far more time to prepare for my exams than if I had been not unwell. If I had been healthy and happy I don't think I would have got the grades that I did because I would just simply wouldn't have had the hours and the time and even despite... Um, OCD, obsessive studying. We're talking probably eight hours a day because I would study whilst eating. I would study whilst uh, any any given minute. I'd, ha- I'd have my revision books with me at all times on me. And it became kind of an addiction in itself as a distraction from being anorexic and all that. But even despite with all that, I still only got sort of Cs, Bs. Um, one exam, ironically, so funny, I got an A star and that is English literature, which is such a joke because we walked down to the little school that was attached to the hospital down the lane, Wool Lane house, and it, I was invigilated by one of the nurses. Unfortunately, my exam paper was half an hour late. I didn't care. I wasn't going anywhere. It really didn't add to any kind of stress, but they they awarded me an extra mark for the inconvenience of my exam paper being delivered late. And then I also got an extra mark for having to take my exams in hospital. That was obviously kind of compensation for the fact that I was in a bad mental place. But it already, I've said it, kind of aided to my ability to revise for months and months on end prior to taking them. And then I put a complaint in because unfortunately, the poor lady that was invigilating was narcoleptic. So she actually fell asleep at the drop of a hat. So she'd sit down, she'd be like, and turn over your page, start writing. Next thing. (whistles) (whistles) And it was really, really off-putting. So one component that I find really challenging, it's probably why I got so distracted in classrooms and I really struggled at school, is any noise whatsoever really distracts my ability to be able to quite in the mind enough to focus and work out a spelling or to read I just I it's almost like the noise in the room um, knocks the letters out of focus or it it knocks the words out of my brain so acts as such a distraction that I just simply can't Use my brain in an effective way. So I put in a complaint that, unfortunately, due to her having narcolepsy, she kept falling asleep uncontrollably and snoring. So when I got my results back, I got the top mark, a star, and um, it was brilliant. It was, the best, it was the best result I've ever got, but it was probably only really a C. But um, yeah, that was my mock exams experience. Um, and then I, I started a new school, so once I left hospital for my end of year exam. So in England, we call them A levels. So you do AS levels in year 11, and then A levels in year 12. Um, Partly because I'm just curious and I love life and I um, just, I'm really interested in all things. But I think as well, because I was trying to run away from all the pain and the struggle in my brain. I chose to do far more subjects than you would normally. I also was massively struggling with decision-making because I'd kind of been institutionalized in hospital for over a year and I had the mindset of an anorexic. So I didn't know what was normal, what was rational, what was healthy, kind of relied on others to inform me how to live, how to think, how to behave. So At that time, I just really, really struggled with decision making. I don't know if that's at all a trait of having dyslexia, but I suspect more the anorexia was playing its part. So usually people will do four AS levels and then three A levels. So they just drop one. So they kind of get a half, a half A level and then three full ones. I chose to do five AS levels and four A levels, which is just a bit stupid but I couldn't choose and I just loved it all. So on top of that, I was obviously doing my sport as well. I did drama, had a part-time job, just cram, 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 which is very common. What people do when they're in a turbulent mental health state, they'll often either become depressed, do nothing or overload and just try and fill the schedule so much that they don't have to deal with the pain they're going through. But that's a whole other podcast. So, uh, In most of my subjects, I was all right. Biology, I really struggled just because there's a lot of facts. And then I also struggled in business studies. And the business studies was because the class was really lively and everyone was um, friends and it was a really great vibe. One of the teachers, unfortunately, had a stroke and he then couldn't obviously work for a while. and We had a replacement teacher and it was just too noisy. So I asked to go to the library, and I studied on my own. And by this point, I was used to self-studying. So I'd put myself through my mocks, and I'd basically revised on my own and taught myself the syllabus. And I actually really um, excelled in business studies. I got an A, um, which is amazing in business studies. But that is because I had figured out a way that best suited my learning style and I knew exactly how to overcome the challenges. The main one being I needed complete silence so I'd go to the library. I also needed to take notes, I also needed to draw pictures in relation to the facts. I also needed to kind of role play so I remember to this day, this was 15, 16 years ago but I remember writing a whole piece, a dissertation on the post office and how the business worked within that. It was in the news. So I watched videos. So I just learned visually, kinesthetically. I just had found my way of retaining the information. Unfortunately, biology wasn't like that. So, But also I did okay because I think I got a B or a C, but um anyway, I passed and uh, I loved the lessons. There's a lot of 3D sculptures, little maquettes we used. There was a lot of videos. There was an amazing teacher, Mr. Sykes, and he would make every session, every lesson would have a video clip, would have some facts, would have a game, would have little experiments. It was so packed full of different learning styles. It was fantastic. And then the other topics were drama and um, art. So that was fine. PE, that was fine. I'm sure I felt I only got a B in PE, but I'm sure that's physical education. The writing component was a struggle. So because I was dyslexic and the school knew that, I was allowed a few conditions or help in my exams when I sat them. So one of them was extra time, which did help. I'd always use my extra time. So I'd get a quarter extra time. So for a two-hour exam, it would be two and a half hours. Um, the, the I'd always use the time, so I certainly needed it because reading the question and understanding the question and processing the question and then getting my response from my head, which was very clear in my head, getting the facts down, it's almost like a... Rewiring or a miscircuit, or just you know, a, a frayed wire. So, from what was on my head in my head to getting it through my hand and onto the page, it would kind of take forever. So, I'd have to think about every word and I'd really have to agonize. And then, because I was so worried that I couldn't articulate what I was trying to say, I would overwrite. So, instead of a concise, really well structured sentence, I would write two paragraphs to say one point just in case the point wasn't gotten across correctly in the first time um, I would say it in a di- slightly different way so I always needed the extra time I think I actually got half extra time thinking about it I just remember sitting in the exam room for far longer than everyone else and everyone had already left I was always the last one there but I made sure I wrote as much as I possibly could and try to do it in the best way that I could I also got some technology kind of equipment stuff, which to this day, I still don't really understand a couple of them. So I got a free laptop, which is incredible. It didn't help me in the slightest with my dyslexia, but um, because this was before I think you could speak into the device and it would type it for you. So I'm not quite sure why I qualified or the benefit, but obviously awesome, getting a free laptop. So I gladly took that. There was a little device that you would spell a word into and it would spit out the meaning. So like a, it would also act as a thesaurus, but it's sort of a dictionary thesaurus. But the problem is, or the irony, I would never get the spelling right. So it would always kind of just error, default error, because unless you got the spelling correct, it wouldn't give you the meaning. So I thought that was pretty pointless because if I can't get... The spell check working, or I can't get the spelling right. I'm going to already be thinking of an alternative word, so that's something that I often do, which I, I get really frustrated because I really know the perfect word to use. Like I said, I've got a high level of imagination, and I'm fairly intelligent. I hope I come across that that way, but you know, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not stupid, and. Often I will know a word I want to use, but because I can't spell it, I think of an alternative and it's usually a dulled down version or it's not quite so eloquent or it doesn't actually fit the bill. But it's because I can't spell it that I have to use a less poignant word, which does my head in. But it also acts to have to always have a little mini thesaurus going on in my head and trying to think of alternatives with words that I can spell um also because of going to uni with dyslexia I was given a thousand pounds again no idea why but gladly took that so thanks very much I don't sure if that came from Cardiff University or my school or whatever but I just sort of got this bursa this grant to help me so that was cool um and then because I'd done so many subjects the highest points of any students I think it was the top 100 students for the intake for that year across the whole faculty were given a thousand pounds so because I'd done more subjects my points even though I only got a b's and c's my points like were way way up there I think I got over 400 and the average was 280 or something and so I got another thousand so I got two grand I got a laptop I got a couple of pointless different little weird devices that didn't really do anything for me and um yeah thought that's all right that's fine one thing that I did do and I did mention in my story in a previous episode is the degree that I did and that was a fine art degree so I was due to do exercise physiology and I had a place at Cardiff to do that two weeks before my degree start date I rung up and changed my mind and partly because I was still struggling with decision-making and it, I was flitting between the two and I really couldn't, couldn't make my mind up. But also there was an element of what's going to be easier. And that's why I didn't go to my graduation because I felt like it was a bit of a cop out. I didn't need to go to university to do a fine art degree. Um, I saw it as a bit of a embarrassment. Uh, yeah. It's not really something, if I had my time again, I wouldn't bother. None of the art I produce now was informed by what I did during my degree time. I think I've just always had a natural ability to paint and I certainly didn't even do painting. I specialize in sculpting at university, but interesting how two weeks before my course was supposed to start, I just completely changed the course of my life Probably by that decision. And I do wonder if on a sort of subconscious level or a denial, maybe I'm not willing to admit it, but I didn't want to have the stress of the exams. I didn't want to have to do all the hard lectures and I don't know. But in the end, I had played rugby for um, the university and trained about 25 hours a week, probably did more training for rugby than I did for my degree. And the dissertations, I think we only had one a year, it was a three-year degree. And as far as I'm aware, I did fine. I did probably average on those. So yeah, got through university without too many issues. One thing I have noticed now, because I'm not practicing spelling, because I'm not using it all the time, it's really, really deteriorated. So even when I was at school, and this was before I went into hospital, I was learning French and I I was conversational in French and I was definitely feeling like I didn't have a really problematic relationship with spelling. But now I really, really notice it and my memory as well. So I don't know if this is linked with dyslexia. I should probably have done a bit of research before doing this podcast. But for me, I really struggle to remember words when they don't really have any connection to anything so the main one is names if i hear a name that i've never heard of before it's just like a sieve going to fall through my brain and disappear because it's a sound essentially it's it's asking my brain to remember a sound if i if i haven't heard the sound of the name before and there's lots of new names in australia but if I haven't heard the name before, chances are I'm not even going to be able to spell it either. So if I haven't written it down, I'm certainly not going to remember even the name. So I find this really embarrassing and it's one of my biggest bugbears at the moment that I am teaching now in schools. And because I only see these children maybe once a week, I it's enough frequency that I should remember their names and I, I get a good rapport with them and... Um, you know, the lesson is quite unique. So we get to a point where we're quite friendly and, and there's good rapport there. And it is devastating that I can't remember their names. So I teach at, at Aquinas and I'm now six weeks into a new block. And I can only remember two of the boys' names. And the school has said they cannot give me a little photo headshot next to the names. They can, because they did it last term for me because I asked for it. But because they haven't done that, I simply cannot recall anyone's names because it's gone. It's fallen through the sieve. And unless I get reminded again, but it's too late. I can't six weeks in be like, oh, sorry, mate, what's your name? Like, that's just so rude of me. And it makes that child feel unseen. And it makes them feel like I don't care. I deeply care about each person that I interact with. But as soon as you can't remember their name, it just, it, it leaves a nasty kind of after effect. And this is true of clients. This is true of, I had a boot camp that I used to run and there was a couple of trusted people that I could say, oh God, sorry, what's their name again? Like they might be doing the warm up run, or I might've got them out to put a cone out. And then I'm like, oh, sorry, quick, what's this person's name? And it was so embarrassing to have to ask, but I really, really struggle because it's a sound that I can't see the letters in my head and I haven't written them down. And if it's a new name or an unusual name, it just won't stick. So that is really uh, annoying and yeah, it frustrates me like no end. I obviously have come up with ways to try and disguise that. So I'm going to give away a huge reveal here which I'm not proud of but if I've called you lovely which I call a lot of people lovely so I'm like how are you doing lovely it's because I can't remember your name and it might sound ridiculous because you might play on my sports team you might actually play cricket with me or you might see me every single week or I might be working alongside you I might have known you for years but sometimes it just it's like white out like I just forget completely um It's really hard. So there we go. I've just revealed it. If you've ever been called lovely by me, chances are I can't remember your name in that moment. And the crazy thing is, I could probably remember it when I don't need to. So when I'm not in front of you, it will pop into my head. One thing I do try and do, if I can't remember a word, a country, a name, is I will go through the alphabet really slowly in my head. So now, thankfully, I can do my alphabet. Um, I will just go A be, and sort of just hang that letter just sort of in my brain. And it's almost like by saying the start letter of the word, it invites it to come into my head. And it usually happens every time um, I do it. So often I might need to do the alphabet two or three times, but I think that's a way that my brain just recognizes that there's a need to recall the sound or recall the start sound of the word. So that's another little trick that I've done. So, how does it show up now basically uh the well the the words one is really really hard. The memory is really challenging, so if I envisage a map, a world map, I cannot tell you, and I've tried over the years I've lost count how many times. I cannot tell you where countries are on a globe and this one surprises me and I've often wondered why because I'm very visual so much that I can remember very specific um, things about a scene or what color top someone was wearing or whether they've got a teeny weeny little bit of something in their teeth or if they've got one gray hair like I can see the minute detail in every situation but if you ask me to say where is Africa in relation to India? I couldn't tell you. I honestly I don't know why I have struggled so bad uh, badly with this, but I just I just can't. I know that New Zealand is under Australia. I know that Wales is to the left of England, but that's because I think I've practiced that route. I've seen it on a map that many times because I went to university in Wales. Obviously I'm English, and oh wait no (laughs) shades Tasmania's under. Ah, see, I can't, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, that gives you a sense of the, the struggle. It's almost like there's a whiteboard and the key information has been rubbed out with the whiteboard eraser. So there'll be a sentence and it just, it just scrubs out. So every day, how does it show up mostly? It's predominantly with spelling. So I, because the sound can be spelled in so many different ways, every single sound uh, indicative, maybe that one's a bit more phonetic, but if it doesn't spell out how it exactly sounds, I really struggle with the vowels because often vowels can sound like different ones, like the E-A, the double E, I sometimes spells or sounds like E, it's... So confusing. A can sound like E, or A can sound like O. It's just yeah, really, really struggle with spelling. I had a, a a student actually at Aquinas say that he's always thought that dyslexia is a choice, and I'm not quite sure where that came from, and I'm not sure why he felt compelled to say that. I did ask him. I tried to get to the bottom of it. I think he thought that people just like to have a label, but I can guarantee that. If I could spell better, if I could remember people's names better, if I could just articulate myself better in the written form, I would absolutely choose that. So it's definitely not a choice. And that was interesting because I've never been sort of told that approach before. That was a new one. But yeah, it's not a choice. And I still to this day get really frustrated because one thing that I get a lot of on the computer, spell check can be incredible And believe me, I have a lot of red lines throughout any message or paragraph or text that I write. But sometimes, probably one word in 10, the red line does not give me any suggestion. It's so badly spelt that even the computer doesn't understand what I'm trying to say. So that's really frustrating. And then that's a. A time when I'll just switch out the word and I'll have to try and think of a an alternative word that means something similar and whilst we're on computers I don't know why and I think it might be because a computer absolutely sticks to certain rules it has algorithms and it it just works one way or it doesn't work the other way so it's very black and white I can't tweak it I can't get clever I can't kind of manipulate it I can't come at it from a different creative way I can't Disguise my inabilities. Either you do it or you don't do it. And with computer programs like building a website or filling out a form or um, just even sometimes writing, doing an Excel, if, oh, I cannot figure out Excel because I don't know the rules, I don't know, I don't remember. People have shown me over the years, I've had computer lessons. As soon as you forget, the how to do it, the, the system or the or the formula. If I forget the formula, well, then I'm screwed. So it's a little bit like writing. If I forget the spelling, if I forget the formula of how to spell, then I'm screwed. So I really, really struggle on computers. And thankfully, I can now speak into computers and that, that can help me type. But if it's a new program or if I have to learn a new way of doing it, because it's having to learn the rule that I struggle with. so I've I've started procreate, which is a digital design sort of uh, program where I'll create all my murals and I hate it. and I hate that I have to show digitally what I can do in paint because I am so bad. I'm not a digital minded person, and I really don't understand how it all works. so the sort of, algorithms or the formula and because I don't know that I can't use the program effectively so I guess that's that's a bit of a kind of long-winded way of saying that unless I can create clever ways to approach the problem unless I can disguise the problem or come at it from a creative way which you can't do with a computer um, then I really struggle because all of my inabilities just very clearly show up. So that's one beautiful thing, and one amazing thing about dyslexia and it's very common in entrepreneurs. It's very common in successful business people. It's very common in creatives is that I've spent my whole education trying to problem solve I spent my whole education trying to disguise the fact that I can't do something, and I've come up with clever ways to try and achieve it so Things like changing my handwriting, pretty obvious, but I would do a really big capital letter and then I do teeny weeny little letters after it. So you couldn't really see what I was trying to write, but also it would hide the spelling or coming up with a different word for the word I'm trying to use or over explaining things. Um, Another example that I use recently, I actually rung the council, the local council to me because... I was so frustrated by the grant application process being online and having to fill out these forms and if I didn't get it right or it would time out or I couldn't fill in a box and or something was missing or there'd be a fault and something that should only take if I do it in person or handwritten should or could take me half an hour would take me three hours and then... For some reason, I couldn't attach it, or the attachment would be too big, or I couldn't work out how to zip code. I hate using computers. So this is about my fifth application, and I'd had enough, and I ended in tears, which is often what happens. I get over so frustrated, I just end up crying and giving up. So I called them, and I said, why are you judging us as artists on our ability to uh, prove our worth? and sell our designs and our concepts in a written format it's illogical and it doesn't it's not fair so my ability is to paint and to create beautiful images I should not be judged on my ability to be able to put that those designs and those ideas into words and amazingly and thankfully the guy I spoke to was like yeah actually that's you make a very 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 valid point point." And so I went in in person and described my concepts, presented with some pictures, stood up and spoke, and got the job. So, finding ways to accommodate for being dyslexic has led me to be really confident in delivering my thoughts and views in person. It's probably why I feel really relaxed doing a podcast. It's definitely why. I feel really comfortable talking to a big crowd. I really love presenting. I've become an expert at engaging one-on-one and delivering engaging, hopefully engaging and interesting stories. Just verbally, just just talking about it. So that has come from basically avoiding having to put things down on paper. But I think that's only a positive in the long run because I've spoken my way into many opportunities. I pretty much have the gift of the gab where if I really want something and I can get in front of someone, I'm confident that I can talk my way into convincing them or encouraging them or, um, or getting them on board. So that's um, a positive that's that's come of it. Um, what else has happened? Random things. Um, well, (laughs) this one, I was at university and I, alongside doing an art degree and playing rugby, there was enough time to train as a personal trainer. So for the first 10 years of working for myself, I had a PT business and I had a YouTube channel, but probably for the best, because it was pretty embarrassing, I'm sure, but I spelt fitness wrong. So I, I couldn't spell exercise for years and years and years, which I always felt was quite ironic. But I felt, I spelled fitness wrong. I only put one S and two T's in fitness. So it was live for fitness was my channel name on YouTube and I barely got any. And then you could start to sort of do a hashtag or a little tag. And I remember one of my videos got thousands of views and I couldn't work out why because no one could find my channel and it certainly wasn't because of the exercise, but I put a tag on it, and weirdly, there was some chickens around, and they were pecking at my feet, this is such a tangent, but anyway, they were pecking at my feet whilst I was doing this certain exercise with these dumbbells, so I just put feet in the tag, and then I realised that there must be a lot of people with foot fetishes just scrolling through. YouTube trying to get their fix. So that was probably my most successful video and certainly not for the intended content that was on there. But yeah, because I spelt fitness wrong and then because I couldn't figure out how to change my username because I'm so hopeless digitally and on the computer, that YouTube channel just sort of went, I think, I hope it's not up there. I'm pretty sure eventually I deleted it, but I couldn't ever, I would tell people my name and then I'd be like, but no one's seeing it. I don't know why. And because I spelt fitness wrong, so they'd go and find Live for Fitness, and obviously it wouldn't come up, because fitness has two S's and one T. Um, Oh, Another time where it's really been annoying or significant was when I used to babysit, so I did quite a bit of babysitting as a teenager, and when it came to reading a bedside story, I really hated it, I hated it, because the kids would know the books off by heart, obviously just from memory, because they were probably read it a hundred times before I got there. And so they'd know the words, but often I wouldn't be able to read it right. And I can remember still to this day, a few kids being like, but that's not what it says. Why did you say the wrong word? You know, like just pull me out on it and it would be really embarrassing. So that wasn't a fun, a fun thing to do. I really liked it when I would basically offer up a free story. So I'd say, why don't we, why don't I just tell you a story from my mind? And my imagination is, I think, a really um, positive trait that I have, a really strong imagination. So I'd happily just make up stories on the spot. So that gives you kind of a sense of dyslexia, and I'm sure it plays out in other ways. One thing that I do struggle with when I'm reading, although I can read, I read very, very slowly, it just takes that little bit longer, that processing time, um, it really slows the reading down, there's this little program you can do actually, this reminds me on, I think you just type in reading test in Google, and I remember doing it with Liz, and she she read about two and a half, three times quicker than I did. And it's a bit of a running joke that we will have a, a book on my side of the bedside table. And it will probably, on average, I can finish a book in a month. She might finish a book in two days or three days. So and that gives you a sense of the reading time frame. But also, I really struggle when I'm reading because it makes me sleepy. So it's like my brain recognizes that it's working over time. It's really working hard. I get very tired so annoying as hell when I'm trying to go to um, go through a nice story. or read it. Sorry, I'll read a really really fun, interesting story at night time because I'm in bed and I very rarely get to the end of a page, which is so frustrating because I'm really enjoying it and I want to stay awake to read it, but it it just gets me too tired. Um, also, I get brain fog. So if it's not f- actual fatigue where I fall asleep. It's it's like the brain is just clouding over because it's so overwhelmed and becomes tired and I just have to step away. It's like my brain sort of turns to mush and I, I just can't focus anymore. So doing something late in the afternoon or after a busy day or if I'm tired to start with is just a bit pointless. My brain kind of gets less sharp throughout the day. Um... One thing that I do struggle with, and I don't know how to communicate this with people, but if I ask for a spelling, actually, I've just started to say to people, oh, sorry, I'm actually dyslexic. Can you slow down? But if I ask for a spelling, which people are very happy to give the spelling, people say it way too quickly. So, It's a little bit like catching a ball. If you're not an elite athlete and someone launches the ball at you, your muscle, your fast twitch fibers aren't gonna kick in fast enough, your reaction time isn't gonna be quick enough to catch that ball. So it's like when I say, oh, how do you spell, I'll just use my name because I can rattle it off, but how do you spell Olivia, O-L-I-V-I-A? Like, if you tell me a word that I can't spell at that pace, It's pointless. I simply don't have the reaction time to catch each letter in turn. So it's really hard when someone tells me their phone number, um, or someone tells me their address, or someone tells me where we need to be. But especially when they're spelling one word and they just rattle it off, I don't know whether. Other people find it too fast, but I certainly struggle with that. And then it gets a bit awkward when you have to, for the fourth time, go. oh, sorry, sorry, what was that again? Could you please just slow the fuck down? (laughs) Obviously, I don't say that, but yeah, I, I do struggle. And I don't know if that's something that people have ever sort of considered when relaying the spelling of something. But if someone's asking you how to spell it, means they don't know how to spell it, probably means that they might need it delivered to them a little bit slower than what you deem as appropriate. Um, I think I've probably covered quite a lot there. I have been going through my notes on my page and yeah, don't think there's anything much more. Um, I think I just need to, maybe off the back of this episode actually, it would be helpful for me to do some, I don't like Sudoku, but do some games online or get a little book on puzzles because I'm really acutely aware that my abilities or my my areas where I was lacking at school are getting worse and worse and worse because I'm just simply not practicing, I guess, like anything. If you don't practice it, then you're going to lose it. So off the back of this podcast and talking about it and highlighting, I didn't think I was that obviously dyslexic, but I guess people that know me would probably laugh at that statement. Also, when you don't know how to spell something, you can't spot the mistakes. So I'm sure even in my notes, there's many a mistake, but I can't see them because to me, it is how I would write it. So um, yeah, maybe I'm in need of more help with my spelling and my memory and my reading and my writing than I used to be. So maybe I'll do that. A little homework for myself is just to um, reach out and see if anyone knows some good books or some good material or good advice that I can implement into my life as an adult because I certainly don't want to get worse at spelling than I currently are and I certainly don't want my memory to get worse because that's really inappropriate when I'm meeting lots of lovely new people and trying to empower and inspire them so that's my homework to myself. I hope this has been helpful. Um, Please be patient with anyone that may be dyslexic or showing signs of dyslexia, because it is so hard. It's so frustrating. It's quite a scary, lonely place. And it's, I think, taken for granted that people should just be able to read and should be able to write and should be able to communicate in the written form. And not everyone can. And especially as an adult, that can be really Really challenging, but if you do have struggles, I encourage you just to own up to it and just and just sort of accept it and don't see it as a shameful thing. Just see it as a part of you and know that because of those struggles, you're probably far more creative, far more um, accomplished at problem solving, and probably far more interesting to talk to because you've learned the art of verbal communication and physical interaction. So it's probably a win. All right, guys, thanks for listening. I hope that's been insightful. And ah, I'm gonna go and have a lie down now. <laughs> Alrighty, bye.